0: I'm a feminist, but I do really like to be glamorous, like, a lot. Like, if I go out and I not, don't feel in some way glamorous... Like, it doesn't have to always be full Elizabeth Taylor, but I prefer that it is. <laughs> so I've been writing this play and rehearsing this play, and it's been so intense and so round-the-clock, and sometimes you rehearse all day and then you have to rewrite all night, and it's just... You're exhausted. And I knew that I was coming into the rehearsal room, like, with no makeup and my hair everywhere... And I said to the actresses in the play, uh, Susan McCormick and Alexandra Roach, one day, I just said, God, I've really looked terrible this last few weeks. And they said, no, you look like a playwright. (laughs) They genuinely said that. And do you know what? Do you know what? At first I was like, oh, God, I look like a But do you know what? Immediately, almost immediately, I thought, I don't even care. I thought, fuck yeah, I'm a playwright, I'm Neil Simon, I'm Mm -hmm. Harold Pinter, they didn't have to care about their fucking hair and their liquid eyeliner, and now neither do I. And I have found it very liberating, and do you know what, I am much less vain as a playwright than I am as a comedian. Yes. Because they had photographers come in one day, and they tell you ahead of time because they take pictures of the rehearsal room for the programme. You know when you see the program and inside there's a picture of, you know, Rafe finds in jeans or something, <laughs> but do, doing the Chekhov you're currently watching, mm-hmm. and because that's they've got to have something to put in the
4: program basically, and the costumes aren't ready, and that's so, an amazing production of like the Seagull, just all denim, exactly. <laughs> double, <laughs> denim double, de- double denim, double double denim Chekhov is my favourite
0: kind, <laughs> a um, <The> Canadian tux, <laughs> ex- ex- exactly, exactly, and uh, so. They, I was in some of the photos because they take photos of you know, the playwright, the director and stuff. And I forgot the photographer was coming, which I would never do as a comedian. I would never do as a comedian. I didn't have any makeup on. My hair had not been washed in a while. And my hair is the kind of hair that you cannot wash it for a while. And it's fine. It just gets sort of, I don't know, it just gets a sort of rough and ready quality to it. And I would normally be like, oh my God, I, forgot the, I wouldn't forget the photographer was coming. I didn't give a fuck. I was just like, well, I'm the playwright. I'm meant to look a bit like this. Surely I'm meant to have pencil sticking out of my hair. Ruffle it up a bit. Make it look worse, if anything. Um, And I just loved it. And I saw the pictures in the program, and I was like, yeah, I look like I'm at work. Yeah. Fucking loved it. So this is more of, this is, I think, might be my first I'm a feminist and in seven and a half years. Yes. Beautiful. It's about time. I I looked like a man
4: at work. And I was like,
0: I'm allowed to be that now.
4: Yes, it's about your work. That's right. Yeah, no, give, give the full round of applause for that. That is a milestone. I mean, tonight I'm on stage, so
0: I'm in Coco Fennell and I've had a blow-dry. But listen, we, we morph for the job.
4: Now, I've not written as many plays, so I'm a feminist, but... I uh, continue to be embarrassed that no matter what I do, my nipples poke through every single outfit that I wear, and I realize you 're all staring at them now. Hello, hello uh, i 've spent hundreds almost thousands on bras, T- shirt bras, padded bras does not matter always but bam, ba bam, double barrels because i don 't know i 'm either posh or American with guns i don 't know why I, and the thing is i don 't want people to think i 'm cold i 'm never cold. I am always hot and sweaty and ready to take off. Three layers of skin but these things will not be covered by man nor beast nor any manner of fabric and i don't know what to do about it see i think it's a good look yeah yeah looks like i'm uh, attentive and uh, yeah. ready to go jennifer aniston
0: and friends go back
4: yes episode after episode after episode were those nipples
0: stuck on did she just have such pert breasts that she didn't need a bra there were so many questions yeah
4: and I'm not even like, oh, this is nerves or whatever. You'll know because I'll start sweating before I talk in a couple of minutes. This is just today. This is every day now. Is this a is this a 40s thing or is this hormones? Is this me? It's me. It's, is like it me. it's me. Is it new? No, I mean it's it, it would be like in the past five six years, like, your nipples are just suddenly evident, yeah, well look when I was a teenager, they were like not even there they were facing the wrong way, they were stuck in the past, they were thinking about, oh shit, and then, you know, I got my 20s and 30s, it was like, okay, this is normal and now it's like, literally, I'm about to be on camera, and they're like shoving those little pedal things out, and they're doubling the pedals up and I'm like, do I need to just put duct tape on, like, what's happening why am I so aroused by life i don 't you know i 've never been that high on life, but I guess my boobs are on it. If, they are all over it.
0: sounds like you could put someone 's eye out with one of
4: them. I mean you know, and if there 's an evil doer out there, I hope we run into each other on narrow street. you know I would like for these to do some good maybe they 'll finally rest
5: <laughs>
4: now you 'll see every single TV show like. Bam! Gotcha! Where's Wally? They're there! You know what I mean?
0: It didn't do Jennifer Aniston any harm. No, it didn't. It's gone on
4: to do quite well. Amazing things. Um, Do you have names for them? Um, Stuff and things. I I haven't come, literally. What? The left one is called stuff and the right one's called things? Uh, Yeah, stuff is right and and things. Wow.
0: (laughs) Does anyone else have have names for their breasts?
4: They're lying, they do. Yeah, there are a couple little, like, I don't want to tell you, but I definitely do. Anyone want to share? Yes, you do?
0: So, as a woman with large breasts, I I get spoken to, addressed a lot Mm. by men.
4: People just talk to your breasts. Ignore the face, just just the the boobs. boobs. just just talk to my boobs.
0: And so I would slap each one individually and say, wake up Margaret, wake up Deborah, someone's speaking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Sorry. Was one of your breasts called Deborah? Yes, I'm sorry. (laughs)
4: I mean, those are two sound names. No, I I had a good friend in school back in New Zealand. And she was, "We, we were bosom buddies. Yes.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, listen, if anyone would like to name their breasts Deborah and Frances, I wouldn't be mad about it. I mean, also,
4: can you get her on the next panel? Because I can't wait to hear all the stories about... I
0: feel there's more stories. (laughs) Wake up, Margaret. Wake up, Deborah. Someone's talking to
4: you. Yes. I mean... So good. They have such sound professional names, but also love sleeping in, which I appreciate. (laughs) You know, like, hats off to the both of them.
0: (laughs) Professional names. It's true. It's true. They're not diminutive. Um... I'm a feminist, but I prefer women who give my play good reviews to women who don't. And some of those women have been men. (laughs)
4: LAUGHTER I'm a feminist, but, or this might be an and. I have no troubles when people mistake me for someone who is pregnant, usually when I'm wearing a coat because they don't understand um, that uh, I can have a fat body and a, such a pretty face at the same time without it being a pregnant one. So I take every single seat I'm given. I take every single opportunity to use the employee bathroom that they give me. You know, I make up full stories about when they're due, what their gender might be, like just to keep it going because I like getting stuff just great like I if you don't understand fat people then get some more fat friends and understand that I don't really need that seat but I'm gonna play all the sympathy I can get out of this do you wear a baby on board badge no I haven't no I haven't but sometimes I'm tired and I will just thrust it out I will just rub it and it's like is she pregnant or is she hungry I don't know give me a seat and I'll tell you oh man I like sitting down
0: (laughs) um I'm a feminist, but I have just in my head secretly named my breasts Margaret and Atwood. <laughs> Wonderful. I think that just felt right for me. I heard yeah. Margaret, and I thought, that's something about Margaret sounds right. Obviously, I can't name one of my breasts Deborah. That would be demented. <laughs> I can my breast after myself, like Deborah Jr. <laughs> that right? would be amazing. It's Margaret and Deb Jr. No. <laughs> that Little right. Deb. But I liked Margaret, and in homage to you.
4: so what's your name? Bob. Beautiful. Yes, of Barbara. course. Well, Another sound know. name. I'm going to uh, name one Barb. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, we should reciprocate. Trish really. Barb, done. We should, we should really, I should really
0: return the compliment because you've got one that's called Deborah, but Margaret and Atwood seemed right to me. And I feel more feminist because my breasts are named after her. <laughs> if your breasts aren't named after a major feminist who's influenced the movement in some significant way...
4: Think again. Wow. What if your favorite feminist is like Cher or something? You know what I mean? What if you have a one-named feminist? Well, then it has to be Cher and Beyonce. Okay, fine. Fine, fine, fine. All right, you get two of them. Okay. Um... I am a feminist but despite being someone who is personally um, not uh, not a, sh- a waxer, uh, not somebody who in her 44 years of life has ever volunteered to have a stranger finger her while whipping all of her personal adult hair off of her body, I um, was uh, visiting home and there was a place around the corner from where I was staying called Pretty Kitty and I considered going into it every single day because clearly I have a stronger adherence to capitalism and being a good consumer than I do to my own personal morals about my own body and what I like to do with it I was just like maybe I should go in there it looks really clean there's a woman with a hijab working at the front desk we could be friends I wonder if she'll rip all of my butthole hair off this could be fantastic and I really really considered it not that you can't do different things with your body not that you can't make a different choice but I just know that I'm going to be weird and itchy and scratchy why would I do that just because of good advertising Name of the waxing salon? Pretty kitty. It was Pretty Kitty, was and I, pa- the cat thing I think also played. You understand why it was called that, right? Because it, it's some weird subliminal message that's been pumped out to me in between films I've been watching my whole oh, life. It's shiny pussy. Yes. I mean, so it's bald, right? Completely bald, like right. shiny, yeah. right? It's basically saying
0: Kitty is standing for pussy in that. Yes, of
4: course. Oh, sorry. I, I just thought you were like, what a cute name. No, 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 no. <laughs> I knew it was pretty Kitty because we were like, we're going to make your pussy shine. Uh, and I was like, I don't need it to shine. I'm famous enough. Uh, but... <laughs> I, I just kept staring at it, going, maybe I should try it out, even though I have decided that I don't feel like bleeding from my vagina when I don't have to. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do understand
0: all of this. I do enjoy a wax. I like, I like the feel of a wax. I like the pain. It makes, yes. no, I do, I do. It makes me feel alive and ready to fight the patriarchy. Truth. nuggets. I do. I just got, it's just like, and I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> it gives me an extra thing and I do like the smoothness of it I do enjoy it but I had an idea I had a name for a salon because once I accidentally I might have told you this on the podcast before but most of you won't have heard it Um, I accidentally once went for a wax drunk after office Christmas lunch
4: what and, well how did you leave this lunch and go you know what this has all gotta go i did it That's hasn't it been was. nearly enough time forget the schedule it's gotta go now well it was one of those christmas lunches and then i had uh, a
0: christmas party in the evening and i just wanted you know one of my legs waxed i just wanted to feel sexy so um i was walking past a salon that i used to go i was like oh i'll just pop in and get everything waxed everything like dip neck down dip <laughs> I, In a vet. Mean, I mean, uh, the, the, the main areas and uh, the main regions and nations and regions. And I, I, so I had a wax, I had a bikini wax and a l- lower leg wax, as I like to do. And it, I felt no pain at all because I was smashed. And I thought then, this is a fucking business opportunity for Dragon's Den. Yes. And I decided that what I wanted to start was a cocktail and waxing bar <laughs>
4: called Hair of the Dog. <laughs> Oh shit! I'm definitely going to that, Deb. Oh, wow. I know. Oh my right. God! I'm definitely going and but getting my Catherine,
0: first vaccine. I told Catherine Ryan that, and she said it should be called Hair of the Puss, but I'm not sure. Hair of the Dog got a better reaction. I'll text Catherine and say. Catherine, this is the one time in my
4: life I was funnier than you. Also, yes, no, come on. There have been other times. But also, no shade. Everybody's funny in turns. Um, Also, wouldn't it be great if, um, like, 90s uh, Parker Posey could come out and be the person to bring you into the room and be like, okay, bitches, who's next up for their whack? Yeah. Um, because it's hair of the dog, right? Yes. <laughs> <See>? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: think it would be cool. We could make it really funky and really like this really dark cocktail bar and then you just whenever you feel ready, whenever you feel numb, you just <laughs> head off into a room and there's a lady you just knock on a secret door and say I'm ready. And then they, they, a little hand comes out and gives you a number and then someone comes and taps you on the shoulder, takes you in. You don't even... You, you should, and I think this is clear, you should fill out the card as to what you want before you take a drink. <laughs> yeah. Because it will do piercings and tattoos as well. <laughs> you need to be very clear, this is what I want. And then we do it when you're drunk and then you wake up in the morning and go, oh... <laughs> So that
4: drunk, you get that drunk. Yeah. Is there a home delivery service after you're yeah, done? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Taxi
0: you home, and uh, you wake up in the morning, and uh, there was a note that says, That was a wonderful woman you married last night. <laughs> um, <laughs> Live from the London Podcast Festival, the Spotted Eater Shop presents The Guilty Feminists with me, Never Funces White. <laughs> Guest <laughs> guys, <laughs> best my no special guests. Then and now. Hello, 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 hello and welcome London Podcast Festival, one and all to The Guilty Feminist. This is when lots of podcasts come out of the studios and the living rooms that they work in. And they play this space um, in king's place, but we 're here all the time. This is our local residency, and we are always a live podcast right from the first one we 've always had an audience. The only time we recorded in a living room was when we absolutely were forced to by the government <laughs> and a global i don 't know if you i don 't know if you had this, but here at King 's place, we had a global pandemic, <laughs> and it was awful, and I absolutely hated it because i couldn 't touch you or lick you. I'm not meant to lick you at all, but I I could if I wanted and you said yes, and that feels good, that feels important, that I'm in that proximity. I would never, I would never... I don't want to assume your gender, sir. Do I say sir? Yes, fine. Go. I would never, sir, I would never lick you without your express permission. (laughs) And I would ask you two or three times, so I'd want to make sure, okay? okay? But it's nice to know I'm close enough physically and you're not on some kind of Zoom, I don't want to think I couldn't lick you even if you said yes. Do you see what I mean by that? And also, I don't want to think if I licked you, I'd give you something terrible. I still might. There's been a lot of, of COVID coming back. So actually, don't lick anyone that's not in your bubble. And by bubble, I do mean that someone you... If you regularly lick them... You know... Are you, is that, just give a sure if you're here with someone you regularly lick. Great! Nice! Nice! I wasn't expecting, this is a total riff. I just need you to, I wasn't expecting to say any of this, but it's now going to be my new favorite question to any or all of any audiences. Just give us a cheer if you're here with someone you lick. I mean, it's absolutely. Just cheer if you're here with someone who licks you. Fewer people, interesting. This is a one-way licking situation for most of you. Now, listen, feminists, if you're licking and you're not being licked... Unless that's what you want, which is fine. I'm not lick-shaming anyone. It's been a big and busy week. I don't really, really know where I'm going with this except to say somewhere absurd. I've been doing a play in Chichester. Um, we just got our fourth four-star review from the Broadsheets this morning in the Sunday Times. Um, I was really expecting it not to be a four-star because it's Sunday Times and that's, the theatre critic there is Quentin Letts and he hates anything even mildly progressive. Um, what he would like to see is just, honestly, productions of The Sound of Music but only with white people all the time. He'd like that in every single... And he doesn't even realise they're refugees at the end. That's the point of the fucking story. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand that. He doesn't understand that The Wizard of Oz... Is a story about a refugee of climate change. (laughs) It doesn't. Most of our stories about refugees, if you look at them, they're nearly all about orphans or refugees. Look at them in the cold light day, you will see that that's true. And the same people going, oh my God, what a sad movie at Christmas, are then going, what are those boats doing here? That is what is happening. Um, And Quentin Letts is, um, how can I put this, a cunt. And, no, he is. And he body shames women, and he does all sorts of... He's really... He's horrible. He's really, really horrible. He's just the opposite values to anyone in here, and I can say that with absolute... I don't even know who you are, and I know that you hate everything about this man, even if you've never heard of him. I can guarantee you, if you've darkened this doorstep, if you've crossed this threshold, even if you were brought here by a friend and you don't even know what the show is, I'm telling you, you hate him. You hate him. So I was fully expecting a really nasty two-star review this morning and then do you know what dropped? Someone else fucking reviewed it A, a woman a woman person reviewed it and gave us four shiny stars and said lovely things and then I found out then I found out he left the job a few weeks ago he doesn't do it anymore that's why I can safely call him a cunt all day long because, to be honest, I would anyway. I would anyway. I, wouldn't, I don't really want a good review from him. I don't. I just, I'd just. i be upset with myself. I'd think, oh. Well, if he likes it, I hate what I've just made. Um, but, yeah, it's just sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And luck, I think, is the, it's the wind in the sails of hard work and you know, talent, others, other things. And I feel like we're having a, little, having a little bit of luck. So if anyone can get down to Chichester before the end of the month, it's on there because it might not transfer because then we'll need, we're going to need more luck because you need a theatre to be available and the cast to be available at the right time and you need, you know, you need to still a lot of stuff. At least we qualify now and that's the main thing. So I've been doing that and I've come, I've been, you know when you're working 24-7 on something and then I sort of was whisked into King's Place and I'm like, hello and welcome and I started talking about licking people. <laughs> that's the context okay so what I want to ask you now is this uh, give us a cheer if you n- listen to the Guilty Families podcast Woo! give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at um, you don't know and you see those people seemed happy about it they're like yes uh, why are you here did you just, were you just at the podcast festival thought we'll give this one a go someone brought you he brought you uh, is it a date it's not it's friends okay <laughs> I'll tell you this, it isn't because um, men often bring women to my show. If a man's brought the tickets, I'm always suspicious, uh, it's usually a third date and what they're trying to do is go, look, I'm a feminist. <laughs> and also, this is, this is, um, look at how safe I am. To li- li- I'm a feminist and this is funny and entertaining. What more could you ask for before you lick someone? Um, I'm not saying that's the case here. So I'm not saying that at all. I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not saying that. Is it though?
5: <laughs>
0: do you like her? No. no. Well, he's not saying no. Um, well, listen, thank you very much for bringing someone. I really appreciate that. Do you listen to the podcast yourself? Yeah. You do? Yeah. You, you won't be now. Okay. So I see that. Lost, just lost a fan there. Lost, lost a regular listener. Do you subscribe? You, have you, will you unsubscribe after the show? I'm kidding, sir. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm sure you have your own backstory. That's nothing to do with me. What do you do for a living? Sing a you sing in a choir for a living. No. No. That's how you define you. You, you sing in a choir and you make a living. No, I'm retired. You're retired and now you sing in a choir. What a lovely life! Everyone here wants your life. Just give us a cheer if you would like to give up working and sing in a choir. Everyone wants your life. Everyone wants to be you. What's your name? David, David what's your choir? Uh, for real Voices. Real Voices, excellent. Um, is that like the Dove campaign for real beauty? Because <laughs> I'll tell you something. Once, I said to my husband... I was looking at headshots, you know, you have to have, for comedy, you have to have new photos taken, over again. And I showed him these headshots, and I went, what do you think of that one? Do you think that looks a bit Dove campaign for real beauty? And he said, no, darling, you look lovely. And I thought, well, that campaign's failed. <laughs> he knew what I meant. Uh, well, listen, we'd love, to, we'd love to hear you quiet. Is quiet. Does it perform regularly in London? Yeah, quite regularly. Great. I'm going to look out for real, everyone look out for real voices. Go and cheer David. He's one of us. Um... <laughs> Uh, just give us a cheer if you think you've got a feminist job. <laughs> or, don't, it doesn't have to be a job. You may not define yourself by your job. David doesn't define himself by his job. Feminist job or other other thing that you do. Just give us a cheer. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, give us a cheer if you think you have an unfeminist job. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Keen to know more. Um, what's your unfeminist job? <laughs> Civil servant. That's not necessarily unfeminist. That's not necessarily... What department are you in? Go on, tell us. The Home Office. (laughs) Okay. All right, I was trying to save it. I was... I said not necessarily, not necessarily, but as it turns out. Now, can I ask a question? Do you do stealth feminism in the Home Office? Do you ever do any Trojan horse feminism where you sneakily kind of go... Well, that's not right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to secretly write it. Do you ever do that? You try to, yeah. I find that nearly everyone in my audience who say they have an unfeminist job, it turns out, are doing feminist stuff inside... And so they are actually sometimes more feminist than the people with feminist jobs. Like a woman who said, oh, I just do money for rich people. I try and make more money for rich people. And I said, do you do any stuff feminism? She went, oh, yeah, all the time. I tell them to invest in things on the basis they'll make money, but they won't. They'll just help a feminist cause. <laughs> and I said, are you embezzling? And she went, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but she said, not for myself, for feminist causes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, da- I'm, good with I'm good with it. So actually, we could use you on the inside, if I'm honest. So maybe we should talk to you afterwards. You will be fired within six months if you work with us, but I think it'll be worth it. You'll be a feminist legend and hero. You might do a small amount of jail time, but I think it'll be worth it for all of us. Are you down with that? You're down. Excellent! Anyone got a feminist job that they'd like to tell us about? One, two, three? Yes, what's yours? You sell houseplants? Not on the face of it, feminist, but keep going. I believe in you. Female led houseplants. <laughs> oh, she turned it round there, didn't she? If you're listening at home, she said only employing women from prison. It currently in prison or post? Both. 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 And so it's houseplants. I need some new plants, but I need them for the terrace because I went away to do this play to Chichester. And my husband let all of my plants die. And I said, did you not water them at all? It was that very sunny period, to be fair. I said, did you not water them all? He said, it never occurred to me. Not <laughs> but it's like the TV's there and you look out on the fucking plants just watching them gasp for water. And he said, well, they should have been more vocal like the cats.
5: <laughs>
0: That's the reason the cats aren't dead. Because they'll come up and go, meow, meow. And he was like, why don't plants do that? Good question, though. All right. Uh, if we could do anything to help your house... What's it called? The Glasshouse. If we could do anything to help you, please let us know. Uh, so uh, tonight, I have a very special co-pilot that I haven't had on for a while, um, mostly because she's got too famous for me to have her. So uh, put your hands together and make incredibly excited, woohooing noises for the wonderful Desiree Birch. <clears throat>
4: Yes. Just hear me. Hi, no, this is better. Because it's a recorded medium, That's isn't it? That's right. It's this is how show being, business works. It's all
0: being recorded. So if you don't talk into the mic, they might hear you. But no
4: one else ever will. And ever. sometime, Ever.
0: Ever. Um, no,
4: I'll scream into their phones. Don't worry. Um, how y'all doing? It's wonderful to see you feminists here. It's lovely to be back in this beautiful space. It's so good that we're talking about progress. It's so good that we're together. I think we really need to be the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you're listening at home, this is the day that the Russell Brand story has dropped. Um, It hasn't dropped for us. We've known about it for years. We've been talking about it for years in comedy, haven't we?
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's funny how that happens until... um, I, I got a lot of things in my feed that were all sort of like, oh, you comedians, why didn't you say anything before, la, 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 because the way that libel laws work in this country means you'd be sued out of existence if you did that, right? Like, my understanding is that the difference between Hannibal Burris and anybody in this country is that he has a a freedom of speech to do that and not get sued because it's comedy, whereas here, people were afraid. I moved to this country, and everybody's like, here's some old news, and then they updated me on everything that was going on, and I was like, thanks, welcome to Britain. But, you know, it's good to get that kind of information when you're coming into something because you might need it, right? Even Yes, absolutely. But even so, Finn Taylor was doing material about it. Yes, and, and he, it, yeah, he got threatened to
0: stop. See, And then, do you know what he did? So clever. He got threatened by Russell's people and, and told you have to stop saying that. And so the next night, he went out and did his show again. It was a run of a show, and he, he went out and he went... So this is the bit where I normally talk about Russell Brand, but yes. I've been threatened yes. and I've been told I can't mm-hmm. by his people and uh, so this bit in this bit this is what I would say but I can't say it and he didn't say it but he just told them and he just did it flat like I think no jokes he just went and the audience were like oh my god what was it and then he got an immediate phone call going, no, 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 we don't want to stop your freedom of speech. Please, please go back to yeah. the material because people might think it's a joke at that point as exact, opposed to knowing exactly, it's exactly. true. Exactly, because yeah. as soon as you're threatened to close it down in that way, yes. like it, it's obvious. And also we've just all known for years, guys. Like we have all absolutely, known for, everyone's talked about it for years. Yes. But he had so many just like litigious lawyers around him and also, for many years, he had the public on his side. He had the press on his side. And when I look back on it, this was all years before Me Too, or years before the, the yeah. current wave of feminism happened. You know, we were way... This we was way back. There was, no, there was no representation. There was no body positivity. There was no nothing positive. There was no sex positivity. There was no nothing positive Everyone was women.
4: negative about everything. Why are you alive? <laughs> Give exactly. us your money. But. <laughs> But certainly for women, because yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: know if you remember that story that broke that. Um, uh, well, it just happened. He and Jonathan Ross got on the radio and rang a young woman's grandfather. Yes, I'm deliberately not saying her name because I don't want her brought. This was all coming back for her, I'm sure now. But um, then they got taken off the radio because he was going, "Oh, fuck your granddaughter." And that man was a very well-known actor. Yes. And you know what happened? Because it was all before this rise of recent rise of feminism. She was massively, massively slut-shamed. Yeah. And she was a burlesque dancer, and people went for her, and they shamed her body. They they said, you took Russell Brand off our radio. Thank God. She she didn't say a thing. She never said she slept with him. He did it to himself. And then ages later, when she was getting all of this harassment, she eventually said, okay, I need to tell my side of the story. And she did it once. That was it. And she—I any woman seeing that would go, oh, my God, my life will be turned into completely my relationship with Russell Brand. So, of course, women were not coming out and talking about it. Um, So, yeah, I will be very interested to see what happens from here on in. I haven't seen dispatches yet, but I... No,
4: no, we're all too busy working, and also it's like partially why put yourself through what you already kind of know and have read and have discussed with other people. Uh, uh, Does that... Do you gain very much by that, aside from making material out of it? And then there's a question about that as well. I feel like I need to... List, watch it just because I do The
0: Guilty Feminist you know I feel to kn- I need yeah. to know what it is yeah. so I actually will yeah. but I also know that a lot of people are triggered by it and can't and and other people need, uh, it's a catharsis they need yeah. to see it so yeah. I think whatever your relationship with it is you go for that whether it's holding back, watching it, sharing it, not sharing it, do, do what you need to do at this time But do you know what? When I got got in a taxi to come here and I was working on the show on the way and the taxi driver said, oh, you're going to King's Place? Are you a singer? And I said, no, I'm a comedian. And he went... Tell me about Russell Brand. <laughs> oh, now you want to hear about it. Yeah, but he Beforehand. was like, he was like, he was like, tell me everything. And I said, oh, we've all talked about it for years.
4: Well, you say that everybody knew, but there are plenty of people who are not in this industry who did not know. There are plenty of people in America who I had to inform years oh, ago. like, yeah. Oh, no, you haven't heard about, like, they're the same people that I had to update on Morrissey and be like, oh, I'm sorry, just listen to the Smiths and you got to stop. Like, they, they just haven't, some news doesn't make it over. And so they're just, just like what's wrong with Morrissey and I'm like girl you oh. know and the same with like Russell Brown like girl we cannot go to that show in LA I'm telling you so
0: yeah. uh, c- certainly that I went into various charities and foundations and activist groups that I was working with here and they had his picture on the wall yeah because he had done so much public activist stuff but as many times people do because yeah they want to be seen in a certain light and uh I was like I'm I'm pretty I'm going to go out on a large limb and say you want to take that down now before it breaks cuz we all knew it would break at some point. And when I say everyone knew, I don't mean everybody. Yeah, I mean people in
4: comedy knew. Yeah female comics, all new, male comics, all new, every comic. I feel like as consumers of comedy, though, we all need to do ourselves a favor, pull over to the side and reread Jekyll and Hyde uh, because it is about ego and shadow. And every time you see a comedian talking about some shit, it's based on real life. And so it's always disturbing when you look at someone like Brand or like Cosby or CK, whoever, and you're like, oh, they were talking about the thing they were doing. And we were like, ha, ha, ha. And th- I mean, uh, that's not me saying go after every single comedian for every single joke. But usually, the shadow has a way of bleeding into the ego. And the ego gets built and built and built, but it's built on top of this faulty foundation of what's underneath that thing. So mm-hmm. listen carefully. And I, I
0: often think as well that... Well, like, with, like I, always, I think I wrote about this in my book about Louis C.K., is that he was a really good comedian, and then he did some very bad things and people in the industry knew and they sidelined the women and they kept platforming him and giving him more budget. And I am not surprised he got better at that point. And people are like, oh my God, he's a genius. Because can you imagine, if you already have an ego and, and you're, <laughs> if you're... already talented, If you're already talented and you have a big ego and then you full well know that the people in your industry know you're a predator and they think that's a price worth paying. To hear what you have to say. What kind of genius do you think you are now? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's part
4: like, of the work. It's part of
0: the reason they're what good. What
4: couldn't you do if everybody knew your worst secret and was like, cool? Yep. And, yeah. Like, exactly. what couldn't you do?
0: Exactly. And then we're like, you, it's worth it. Those women can be cannon fodder. It's fucking worth it to hear the gems out of your mouth when you stand up with a mic You can hurt whoever you want. We just need it, baby. We need that sweet, sweet, funny philosophy that you deliver to us. We need your off-the-wall sitcom, where you again hide in plain sight and show us some of the things that you do in a fucking weird way and we all go, wow, it's so independent. (laughs) That's true. Anyway, that's, so we need to, you know, you can't do a feminist show without cathartically talking about Russell Brand at the top if the story is broken today. Sorry to start on such a kind of unfunny topic, but did everyone need to talk about
4: it? Yeah. yeah. Were you all kind of going at uh, what point are they going to fucking talk about this? Yeah. I didn't great. Think the warm up great. was the right. Place. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. I thought give some good vibes, but, but we've then... got some like business to take care of later. Business There's to like take care progress of. happening yeah. later. So let's take care of this right now. It's absolutely true. Yeah. We
0: had to. We had to. Yeah. And and he we didn't even talk about doing it, but I was like, I know it's going to Yeah, I mean, we yeah. <laughs> we were just like, yeah. We just I we were just only a few seconds in the dressing room together. Yeah, we didn't even talk just about us. it, but I was like, Russell Brand is a predator and he has now spent a few good years creating this whole uh, the mainstream media is a lie like following yeah. so that he can now go that's why they're after me um, and they will all support him to the hilt no matter what yeah. they what you could show absolute actual video and they would say it's a deep fake or something They or they'd say she asked for it who knows what they'd say but they would follow him to the hilt because yeah. he's a cult leader yeah um Right, we should start the show.
4: Yes. <laughs> um,
0: okay. This is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st-century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which oh. undermine them. Mm-hmm. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me De- is Desiree Birch, and we are talking about protests then and now. I don't think that was well done. I'm Deborah Francis White, and with me is Desiree Birch, and we are talking about protests then and now. <laughs> all right are you ready for some stand-up comedy yeah. then please welcome to the stage my incredible co-pilot for this evening it's the wonderful the one and the only desiree march
5: yeah.
4: I'm in stand-up mode now at this microphone. Hello, everybody. Um, So uh, one of the things I probably should have said in there, too, and I considered it, but I was going to tell you here, is that I'm a feminist, but I hide behind the moniker of being a crazy cat lady Uh, now that I'm in my mid-40s and I have a cat that I adore. And the truth of the matter is I was crazy well before the cat. (laughs) Like I got the cat so that it made sense that I had been talking to myself for well over 30 years of my life at this point. Now at least there's a cat, right? And so the last time I was doing the show, I came to do it in crutches because I had had a meniscus tear and a knee surgery. Some of you will remember that show. Um, and at the time, I gave a lot of kudos to my boyfriend who took very excellent care of me. And I did not give a shout out to my cat who I developed and deepened a relationship with during this time. Now, when I went to get the surgery, right? I I was like very, very happy that I was like, you know, look, at least I don't have any kids. This could all be made worse with kids. I think every experience in life could be made worse with kids. Um, For me, for me, I'm just like, thank God I don't let them come inside me. Because the only thing that I don't need right now is some kid being like, mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, it's four in the morning. Mommy, can you walk anymore? Mommy, like terrible things that come out of children's faces about when you're trying to be like, I'm a middle-aged person going through the aging process and I don't want to be seen right now. Eh. So, um, uh, thankfully, I only have the boyfriend and the cat. The boyfriend mostly seeps through the night at this point, so I was only worried about the cat. Um, and um, I was worried about the cat, uh, specifically because, um, so, we were talking earlier about the, the hair situation. Um, I have a cat that's a fluff ball. She's basically a large ball of hair with a couple of teeth and some bones in there. And for those of you who have cats, give me a round of applause. Woo! Um, so for those of you who have cats, you might know the situation. I have the kind of cat who uh, does require a Brazilian. Um, uh, or I mean, it'd be weird to leave one finger of hair right? she, a Hollywood. She needs a... Ho- well, look, I don't wax the entire cat. It's like mowing the lawn. Is that a suburban? I don't know what we call that. But I do have a cat that needs to be regularly shaved because otherwise... Shit gets stuck to her butthole. Like literally, if you let it go too long, she'll come running inside and there's a catacomb of shit hanging like Lord Vecna between her two legs, quivering there. And what is it about cats? They only want to cuddle with you right after they've taken a dump. Have you ever noticed that about cats, cat owners? They owe like the most affectionate time is right after they pinch one off. Like before, the whole rest of the day, the cat's literally like, oh my God, I gotta hide from this bitch. All she wants to do is make biscuits all the fucking time. Like, I don't wanna cuddle with her. Leave me the hell alone. And then, literally, the moment it's taken a shit, it comes to your room like, hey, you. We never talk anymore. Should we cuddle? Let's cuddle. Let's cuddle right in your bed. Let's just cuddle right in your bed. Let's just cuddle right in your bed. That's what cats love to do. And so I was like, you know what? I need to make sure to shave this cat before I go into the surgery time. It's eight weeks where I'm not going to be able to chase her around. Now, normally, this is a thing that I could do, right? You know, and I tried doing it before. And what it requires, unfortunately, is like, you know, for those of you who have cats and have had to cut your cat's butthole hair, you understand this process. The way you do it is you start laying out little treats, you know, right in front of you, and then you've got to follow the cat around like a serial killer with some scissors behind their back, just slowly following them around. And then when they get lulled into a sense of security, you've got to put your elbow down on them, lift their tail up, Edward scissor hand in their butthole really, really quickly, and then let them forgive you, which could take days to weeks, okay? And so I choose seasonally to pay a very nice woman to come around and do this for me. Because think about it. Anybody who has ever had an intimate wax or shave, think about if you went to Pretty Kitty, let's say your a- a- aesthetician, whoever you're going to, and what happened was they were laying out just tiny little prosecos in front of you on the floor, lulling you into a sense of security. You forgetting the entire time what happened. And then suddenly like bam, 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 legs up in the air, rip, <laughs> you like industrial sized popsicle stick. Covered in wax, rip to the sun, right? I mean, maybe it's a business idea, (laughs) maybe it's trauma. I don't know. So look, I pay another person to do this. What had happened was two days before the surgery when I got this done. The woman came over to do this, and instead of giving my cat a Brazilian or a Hollywood or suburban, she gave her the fuck the patriarchy. I read Naomi Klein. Like, literally, there was more hair on her puss and butthole than there was before I gave her to the woman. I don't know how she managed to do it. It was like all of her hair had moved only to one spot, and I was like, are you serious? But I didn't have time to do anything about it. So I went in, I had the surgery, and I needed to tell you about that so I could tell you what happened next because we're five weeks into my recovery. I'm doing pretty well. Um, I've gone over to my boyfriend's house at this point because he moved in for the first month and then I moved over to his house for the second month and he took care of me very nicely. It was the first day I'd gotten over there and it was the first morning afterwards and it happened to coincide with the one day a week he has to go into the office. So uh, what that meant was I was woken up at 8 a.m., which is like a comedian four in the fucking morning, okay? And the reason is, is because my boyfriend, before we moved in together, clearly this guy had been burned by whoever he was in a relationship with before because he decided to get the I give up on ever getting laid again double bed, no person who wants to sleep with another person should ever get a double bed. They are too small for 2023 20, 23-sized people. Do you understand? Like, this is a modern era. Literally, to toss and turn in his bed, I have to do a press-up and then turn. Like, seriously. And the thing is, he never cares because in any relationship, there's one person who can never sleep and one person who hits the pillow being like, everything's great. I'm a straight white guy. I did great today. Shu, Kong Kongshu. Kong, he is out. I literally cannot watch a series with this man because the credits will roll and he will be flip top head ZZZ just snoring and I have to explain every 10 minutes when he wakes up what happened on succession so I just don't watch shows with him anymore right so we've gotten to his double sized I've given up on getting laid fucking bed he's laying there asleep I'm going this motherfucker he's good thing he's taking care of me and I'm tossing and turning in his bed until 430 in the morning so when he wakes up at 830 I'm pissed the fuck off right but I'm like does right, it's fine. You know what? You have all day, no day but today. You can wake up, you can um, meditate, because that's what I do in the mornings and I'm not saying that to sound like I'm superior, I'm saying that because, you know, it's a practice I've taken up for the past couple years during lockdown. Mostly I just sit there for 20 minutes of silence, thinking of comebacks to shit people said to me in high school. Um, I don't know when you get past that phase of meditation. I'm literally like, I will look this hoe up on LinkedIn and tell her this comeback, it's that good. Um, So... You know, that's, but, you know, this was going particularly well, right? I was sitting there. I was about eight minutes in, and I was going really well. Like, you know, I could hear things in the distance, but I wasn't, like, on this one-track focus of something. I dropped into my body. I was feeling every sensation. I was like, this is going to go well, and today I'm going to write the great American novel or whatever the fuck I'm going to do. I'm going to change the world, right? And I hear, scratch, scratch, scratch. and I'm like, Please don't be destroying his house Like we just got over here She just found a patch of new carpet She's going to dig a little hole in it I know it But I don't want to open my eyes And start screaming at her Because you don't want to reward that With attention, right? You want to ignore that And then hopefully that behavior diminishes But then I hear I scratch, scratch, scratch And I'm like "Mm, Motherfucker, if you ruin this man's house Then you're going to ruin this entire relationship Never mind that she was there Before this person Do you know what I mean? Like she's the little entity I owe my allegiance But I'm still like, you're gonna ruin this relationship! And then I'm like, does it really hold it together? Scratch, scratch, scratch. Finally, I go, Cisco, what the fuck? And as I'm saying that, I open my eyes. I land on her. She's not scratching the carpet. What she's doing is legs akimbo in the air, dragging her asshole across the carpet, star- making direct eye contact with me, right? She is disturbed. She's like, how come your grass doesn't work? It's not wiping away this terrible thing that I should have left in the bathroom. And I'm, I'm, I can't even walk, right? So I stand up on the little crutches. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to st- stop her from doing it. And so that's just making her scoot, right? Now she's doing like butthole parkour off the walls and there's like a streak. There's like a whole scene of the crime that she's etched out of what's happened. Like literally I go back to the bathroom and I can see the whole CSI documentation of what's happened. Like, you know, she was in the litter tray. She tried the edge of the litter tray. That didn't work. She tried the bath mat, but the bath mat moved. Then she kind of made a U-turn and did like Tokyo drift into the bedroom I'm like, this will work. And then it was like, scoot, scoot, scoot everywhere. Like, and so now that I'm chasing her around, being a terrible, terrible human being to this poor little creature that I've decided to take on and love, right? You know, I'm screaming at her, but not normal things that you should scream at a kid. Like, stop it, you stop that right now. No, not that. I'm screaming brutal existential things at my cat. Like, Cisco, I don't love you anymore. I used to before, but all love is conditional. And my conditions were you not shitting up the apartment we're staying in right now, Cisco. I can never trust you again, Cisco. You've made all my nightmares come true, Cisco. Like, this is what meditation can do for you if you only do it halfway, okay? oh my goodness and like literally I, I'm sitting there going okay well, how, do I, how do I clean this up in, before he gets home you know just so he doesn't know that there's literally like poop on his bookshelf and like on the laptop like little dairy milk buttons that she'd left around right and so the first thing I think is let me go get some of the laundry soap I pour Percil on it not realizing it's the most concentrated substance not, like it could clean up an, an entire oil spill that stuff right I pour it on there and then I'm rubbing it out and little bubbles are coming up and they're just like poo flaked bubbles are coming up and I'm like this isn't working and I don't know how I'm going to fix this right you know so basically you know instead of doing what I should have done in that moment is realize Desiree the meditation's still going on are you going to make a choice to put more pain and suffering into the universe or you know are you going to laugh and take care of business I learned a lesson for next time uh because I didn't do that I screamed yelled cried called a task rabbit and some poor 19 year old came over uh Because somebody's got to have some kind of employment. And she did say that she was a cat lover. Uh, At least she used to be probably before she came over to my boyfriend's house. But she did spend three hours like with a knife and a scraper getting all of this out of the carpet, off the window, like off of his books and everything else. Right. And I just realized in that moment, like, look, if you have anybody that you have any kind of power over, if you have a cat, a dog, a young person or whatever, you have the power. You are responsible for that power. You can never yell at a cat. Because you're always yelling at a cat for something that was your fucking fault in the first place, right? Like the cat scratching up your shes long and you're like stop doing that and they're literally like you trapped an apex predator in your home with designer furniture and now you're mad at me no that was on you for deciding to do that and i just thought it was a very illustrative story about what you should do with your power and also make sure to get your cat's ass shaved just for your own personal benefit even if you don't do it for yourself like i said I'm not into it, right? I'm the kind of person I like a nice hedge here. I'm a lady with a, 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 with possessions. I want a hedge like a bush, like a like not like a big bush, not like a George W. But like you know, more like a like a like a Laura or a Kate Bush, like a small C conservative bush. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's got some reactionary views, but it's not gonna tank the economy and start a forever war. Do you know what I mean? Like just a little something there, right? But cat yoink, all gotta go. So I don't know. I really think you should start that business up because I'm starting to come around to this idea, Deb. I really, really am. Thank you guys so much for my story. I appreciate it. That's all right, batch, everybody Uh-oh.
0: Are we ready for our guests? Yeah. All right. So I already told you that uh, today we're talking about protests then and now. Feeling lately, we do need some good protests. I mean, we're on the cusp of needing a good revolution. I think. Uh, representing the then part of our show, our first guest is a historian specializing in 18th and 19th century girls' education. She has been collaborating with English Heritage in researching and commemorating the headquarters of the Women's Freedom League. Please welcome Susan Sked. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Susan. Come take a seat here. And for the now part, please welcome the hosts of Media Storm, the award-winning news podcast that starts with the people who are normally asked last, Matilda Mallinson and Helena Wadia. Okay, okay. So it's the now and it's the then. Um, Susan, can you tell us a little bit about what you're here to talk about today?
6: Sure. I'm here to tell everyone about a wonderful plaque going up two days' time to a suffrage organization that had its headquarters just off the Strand in London, the Women's Freedom League, which was all about getting the vote for women, but also that elusive thing, equality. Mm. And it had its home there between nineteen oh eight and 1913, and it well, hasn't had a blue plaque yet. We're not allowed to say this until it comes out. So obviously, the
0: podcast is going to come out after the plaque is revealed. So if you could just keep stop this. tweeting now. Yeah, don't. <laughs> I'm looking lying. at you because genuinely, that would be very bad for Susan. And she said, if you do tweet about it or talk about it in the media or you know online, uh, n- apparently women will get no more plaques ever. So you know, yeah, they'll take
4: women's they'll plaques start away. Them down. they'll be like, yes. Emmeline Pankhurst
0: lived here. No, she didn't. It's gone. Um, uh,
4: do we have to say "xing" as a verb instead of "tweeting" now? No, no don't, we don't. But, don't do that. Okay, okay our, I, I, know, I'm not. I don't want to acknowledge it, but I'm just like, is anybody saying? Uh, let's. I'm going to go "x" because no. that sounds no. more fun than it actually is, as we all no. know. Nobody's <laughs> going to say it. It's
0: Twitter. Fuck Elon Musk. Yeah, um, I'm not playing into his hands. I mean, until it's not. Until it's just apparently he wants to turn it into a massive marketplace. And other things that aren't really Twitter. I don't care. I mean, you know, it, the world's burning. Who's a fuck what Twitter's called? I hate him. <laughs> I hate him and everything it stands for. Um, so, Susan, <laughs> the black pl-
4: that is accurate. I mean, that is women's freedom right there. I'm so, I'm yes. so over him and, yeah.
0: and it. Deeply. Um, so, Susan, we should have had a plaque here before now, presumably, and we haven't. And so now is the time. So, you're going to tell us more about that. Um, now, Media Storm, Tildren, you've broken a new story, which is
7: really exciting. Can you tell us the top line of that? So, we have been investigating police recruitment. Um, We've all been hearing that the police is institutionally racist, but owning the label doesn't go very far if we don't actually know what that means and do anything about it. So you may have been aware that police uplift was this scheme to recruit 20,000 new police officers in three years. Boris Johnson was very proud about it when he announced it just before the 2019 election. And we were told that this 20,000 recruitment would be a chance to diversify the police force. However when it doesn't happen, we're told, oh, but black people and ethnic minorities, they don't want to join the police. So that's why we're not getting a proportional representation. We asked the police forces to hand over the ethnicity breakdown of everyone who applied. And for the first time, we can prove that not only is that not true, but minority ethnics are more likely than white people to apply to the police at the moment. But they are being rejected at deeply discriminatory rates. So black people are 60% more likely to be rejected from joining police forces in the UK than white people.
0: 60% more? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's extraordinary. And the police have been saying, no, 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 the reason we don't have... A lot of black and brown people in the police force is
4: black and brown people don't apply. Mm-hmm. But, but true. I mean, I'm certain that they've probably like everybody gotten some money to do some like recruitment schemes or something. Even if they haven't gotten money, they probably have been like, "We want to encourage black and minority ethnic people to apply for these shops." So they're basically being like, "Come, come, come!" So we could be like, rejected, 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 over and over again, and be like, they just don't want to apply. You know, <laughs> they're just busy being on welfare, I guess, and addicted to crack? I mean, did I take it too far? Or is that just going on inside of their heads? Because, I mean, I assume if they're like, they just don't want to be police, even though they understand that the numbers reflect the exact opposite, that they're playing into stereotypes, right? Right, exactly.
2: And also, when we did a mini-series on this, and we did our first episode, and when our first episode came out, a lot of people on Twitter... Or ex uh, were like, oh, it's it's not racism, you know. Maybe the the ethnic minorities are just not as good as the white people. Oh wow, they're not as good Maybe as tasing people crazy. to death.
4: And I was like, oh. as as the white people are I mean, who are in the police, <laughs> they're not they're not as good at, at rape and murder, are they? Perhaps oh, as wow. the Met Police. Sorry to bring it up, but it's still no, fucking no, true. We're, we're talking about it. Yeah,
2: but also it's like that is a common refrain that we hear not just in policing, right? Like we hit like. Comedy panels, panel shows are full of white male comedians and then they're like, well, you know, maybe women just aren't funny. It's the same kind of narrative that we were seeing reflected back on us on social media when we put out this episode. But also, do wow. you get trained to be a police officer.
0: Like, how do they know? Like, like surely you take people into the training program. You don't just wait, turn up and go, I'll be a police officer, please. And they go, oh, you look like you'd be you should get in your badge. Yeah. You, I mean, it seems, <laughs> Have fun it, out there, kid. It, it seems a lot like that is how it's done because the way the police behave. But I believe there's a training program. How could you possibly say black and Asian people are not going to be as good at that? I don't understand. The
7: thing is, it, it wasn't just coming from comments. We actually had this response almost from one of the strategy leads for the police uplift program at first you know when we asked for a response not only did they deny to sit down for an interview they said oh it's not our area they actually tried to discredit our data and i was like well, this is your data no sorry we just have
2: to pause this like the national police Chiefs council said this is not our area so
7: like, oh, it wouldn't be the police. is not prostrate. their area um, their data <laughs>
2: isn't their area
7: eventually they then did sit down with us, or we really harassed one of them individually on Twitter on X, serves its purposes. And she, I was like, okay, look, we want to figure out where this disparity is coming from. You know, maybe let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you're not just being racist and like, oh, we don't like, we don't want you. Um, is there a correlation to do with second languages? Or you know, let's mm-hmm. work it out. And um, she said you know, the problem is, is that we don't have as many people coming forwards. And I said, oh, no, no, I don't know if you've been made aware of this, but our data shows you do have people from these communities coming forward. They're actually more likely to be coming forward. She goes, oh, no, my data doesn't show that. I was like, well, why would your data be different to my data? And she said, oh, because the data that we have comes after the basic eligibility checks. And I said, okay, so if, if ours comes before and yours comes after, doesn't that mean that that's one of the places where the problems are arising? So we were trying to diagnose it like this. And she said, Oh, we did see some improvement during COVID when the face-to-face interviews stopped, you know, and and the we weren't able to do face-to-face interviews. And actually then some of that, that disparity shrunk. So then Well, oh, these people had
4: ineligible faces.
7: <laughs> well, so then oh, we, right. we said, Okay, well maybe that, that's proof that there's some bias of the People assessing. And she said, Well, you know, we, we've tried to actually diversify the people doing the assessing. And the reason is, and she didn't say, Oh, the reason is because they may have biases. The reason is because if a minority comes in and, you know, they're being interviewed by a white person, they might not perform as well um, because, you know, they're un- un- So, Like every
4: they- person yeah. who's a minority hasn't been interviewed by a white person yeah. <laughs> in order to get past some arbitrary <laughs> gate that they're keeping. Yes.
7: Yeah, again, it's, it's your fault. Yes.
4: Good Lord. Okay, all right. Oh.
0: This is absolutely fascinating. Um, so to come back to you, Susan, can you tell us... So this is our, this is our history. So what Helena and um, Tilda are doing at the moment is sort of fighting a, a very specific fight by using the facts against the government who's provided the facts... Is this something that feminists
6: of yore did? I think that's a really good question, but I think it's complete exclusion we're talking from public life in the early 20th century. I mean, the question of whether women should get the vote had been debated in Parliament since the 1860s. Forty years on, what had happened? And, of course, that leads to Emmeline Pankhurst deciding, okay, direct action, that's the way to go. But even direct action didn't have any effect. So there were mass pickets of Parliament basically saying, come on, you chaps, what are you doing? We're not going away. There were scuffles, there were protests, there were all sorts. Then, of course, it escalated. But it was, I think, the desperation from the women who got involved was because they didn't care. Hmm. They absolutely did not care. It didn't matter how many petitions, how many protests, how many, well, we'll see, maybe you might deserve it in a few years' time. It was no, no, no. And that meant, though, women had to be incredibly resourceful. The time when the WFL, Women's Freedom League, was set up, it was actually a breakaway movement from the Pankhurst's own organisation. Emily Pankhurst had many wonderful qualities, but she didn't like anyone being boss apart from her. Mm. And so WFL was a bit more, well, you know what? There's this thing called democracy. Possibly we could invite our members to share their views and take direct action in their own hands. So, it's a complicated story, but funnily enough, women don't all think and act the same. That's what's wonderful. They're all personalities. It's almost as
0: if they're human.
6: Well, (laughs) you might be on something there. Yeah. Uh, And they disagree and they fall out.
0: Yes. Shocking.
6: Um, But it makes it complicated and quite exciting, but for the office that was set up in Robert Street, where the plaque will be... This is a period, not even the telephone was installed, but they had telegraphs, and everything had a code, so you could just send a telegram to the office, and their code was tactics. And I think that's brilliant, because it suggests, okay, it's not working, conventional routes are not working, we're excluded from public life, so what are we going to do? What are our tactics? And that included chaining themselves to the grill of the ladies' gallery in the House of Commons, because women weren't allowed within the chamber but were banished upstairs and were allowed to peer through. And there were various protests and things were thrown through, so they put a grill across. And so the women changed themselves to it. Uh, They had a barrage balloon and distributed lots of leaflets. Come on. They published a magazine. They had people selling it outside respectable places. Come on. Come on, chaps. But still, at its very um, height, before the First World War the WFL only had 40,000 members. So it was a minority. And my question for everyone here is, what tactic would you have chosen to do faced with that complete lack of power? Deborah.
5: <laughs>
0: so what, what would I do if yeah. I were a suffragette? What would you be your protest? <laughs> um, I think I, I'm my best thing that I can do is to talk and to like win arguments like to try and argue my way through so I think I would have been part of the movement that had gone to have a series of meetings and lunches and tried to lure men off site that sounds wrong not Uh, not like a honey trap but like I would have lured men off site and sat with them and I would have asked them a series of questions that painted them into a corner until I got them on my side. Now, meanwhile, there were other women doing you know, other things. But I, think ev- I sometimes think we should play to our talents and play to our skills. And I think no revolution has happened without some conversation, without some angry protests and riots, without some compromise, without some refusal to compromise. A revolution and a social movement has to have all of those ingredients. And I think where we sometimes fall down now is uh, online there's an idea that your only tool can be anger and you mustn't use influence. And I'm like, no, 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 we need that. And we need all of these other things. Mm -hmm. It's It's a paint box. And we need different people on different parts of that breaking it through you can't just use a sledgehammer yeah. it doesn't work like that we've got to have conversations we've got to have debates we've got to have if you're the one personally affected you may not feel emotionally equipped to have to be at the front line of those debates you may rather be in a, a different sort of position but those who can I believe should that's what I would do Desiree what would you <laughs>
4: Um so uh, if i'm understanding the the sort of two sides of this i mean it's not two sides it's a it's a now and then um it sounds like Susan, what you're saying is that, and I mean, it, it rings true from what we've all learned, that the tactics were were quite sort of, there was no access to the information that we do have now to sort of undermine things. There was no sort of any other appeal besides the come on chaps, which is the sort of like, uh, feels like the cul-de-sac of a lot of this, of being like, okay, we have to appeal to their logic and their sense of fairness and all of this you know, other stuff. And it's like, okay, how many different fronts, as Deborah was saying, can we fight this on in terms of like galvanizing uh women beyond the 40,000 to become involved, whether that was reaching out to sex workers to be like, hey, every time you screw a guy, you got to talk about politics. We'll give you, you know, we'll make sure, you know, like, we'll make sure we pay you a little bit extra, or we'll do it, or something like that. Like, you know, I, I mean, let's get the witches in the community working on some, like, you know, high, you know, like, just every possible area, every possible You're way. So you know, creative with food. your activism. Well, I just think, you know, if I... Only you know, fans like, could be so much
0: more powerful yeah. than
4: it is. You know, because there are so many levels in which men are interacting with women Mm. and at every single turn they should be facing some element of this. I mean, you know, I think that during the civil rights era, Martin Luther King was very clear about like people who were famous and black. He was like, I don't need you to come to the march on Washington or to go across Selma and get killed. I need you to stay on TV. You know, I need you to be on the radio or on the news or whatever and we need these people doing these like every single crack we can get get through we have to kind of uh, chip this iceberg apart from every angle so I think that I would just be trying to reach out to the angles to the people who weren't being initially reached out to because you know it wasn't you know it was going to benefit married women you know and it was a small section of women that first got the vote when they did finally get the vote right so just well
6: yeah and they disagreed as to which women should get the vote first so you had that Some people wanting to say, no, all women and all yes. men above 21. I mean, that's every movement, right? You know, yeah. It's like where. But there was, what's the as, front as we all know, there was a property qualification when the vote came in 1918. So yeah. It was women, married women over 30 who owned property, or did you have to be married or you didn't own have property? to be married. But there were loads of
0: proposals. But if your husband owned property and you yeah, were married, yeah. you could still get the vote. Exactly. So you had
4: to own property. Have property.
6: Yeah, to be a v- rateable value of five shillings. So, you know, not huge, but it's still very excluded. Uh, it was a huge step forward, but not far enough. And But the, then in 10 years' yeah. time, every woman over twenty. Did you know which organisation kept the fight going over that 10 years?
0: Was it, by any chance, the, the Women's, women's Defence League?
6: <laughs> Congratulations.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Can we come back now to you both? Because this is a current fight, you know, that you've got on now. I need to know, like, what have the police said about this when they've been shown it? Like, what? where are you with this now?
4: Yeah, because it's not like people see facts and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know, you're right, let's fix it. Yeah. They just go, what facts? I have other facts because facts are, are fun now. <laughs> yeah, subjective facts. Alternative facts. Yes. You yeah,
7: know, well, it's quite amazing. The initial reaction, it's... Very defensive. You're prepared for this. As a journalist, I mean, we have someone from the home office here. Try approaching the home office saying that they've done anything wrong. It's a knee-jerk reaction. And so first they tried to discredit the data. Their data. Their data. <laughs> um, which is very well for how well they're They've tried to discredit
0: own their, own their own data that they <laughs> supplied to you. Fantastic.
7: That was, that was you know resort number one. <laughs> tried that. Um, then we got a bit more press attention. We had The Guardian report on it. We had some regional papers report on their local police you know, data. And and um, then they agreed to the interview. And then finally, after weeks of pushing, we have now been invited to a meeting with half a dozen of the chiefs and the strategy leads for the police uplift, wow. uplift to go through the data and to tell them what they're doing wrong because apparently... They didn't know about it because the data assessment that we did, they weren't doing within their own force. And actually getting that data, Helena Convulture, was really tricky because they store it in different formats. Some of them, they throw all BAME categories into one number, which isn't very helpful. And, yeah, they weren't doing it.
2: Yeah, they were basically like, whoops, that wasn't us. And then they were like, okay, what can we do? We're sorry. (laughs)
0: Oh, really? So, what are they going to do about it?
2: Well... I think the first thing to say is that media at Mediason we're really proud of the way that we do solutions focused journalism. And what that means is that a, a lot of the time journalists and, and the news they report on necessary but very, you know, sad and horrific things and then they don't go a little one step further than that and say well what what can we do about this? What can we do to fix it? And what happens is that then People, you know, become very despondent. They feel very helpless. People say, oh, I don't watch the news because it affects my mental health, which is, you know, completely legitimate because a lot of the stuff out there is very, very horrible and it's not something you want to consume in your day-to-day life, which is why we try and point to solutions every time we do a bit of journalism and also point to solutions, ask for solutions from the people who have lived the actual story because so often what we do... journalism what people do in journalism is they interview somebody well if they get around to interviewing somebody who's actually lived the story they'll sort of like write a couple of lines on at the end what we do is we say no you've lived it you're an expert so what do you think would fix this and yeah and so we we decided in this story to do some solutions-based journalism and to ask the people involved and who had lived experience of Going through police vetting. I mean, we we, we heard of one person who uh, was actually rejected from police vetting because they had been themselves stopped and searched three times in two months. Now I wonder why they were stopped and searched. They were black. They lived in a highly populated black area with a lot of police presence.
4: So we also not black police as well. Right? Non-black police yes. presence, and they can't seem to find those anywhere. They're not applying. <laughs>
7: Yeah, yeah. So we sat down and we're like, okay, we'll draw up some solutions for you. And the question we were asking, it it ties into the conversation we're just having. You know, can can you achieve change through internal incremental reform, through asking politely... Or do you need to bring the system down? Right. And um, the the positive action we were looking at is the schemes that they currently have. You know, we we can hire recruitment specialists to guide minorities through the process to inform them what the test will look like. Because actually, one problem is that people coming from minority communities into the police, they're less likely to know someone in the police who can mentor them and, and give them that, that counsel. However, <laughs> we then sat down with someone who's actually been hired by the police to do this, to to implement that positive action. And he said, I don't want to do it because it doesn't address the problem. I am being asked to help people play a broken system. Uh, But the system is broken and the system needs to change. And then we looked at police forces that have actually started from scratch. And this exists uh, in one case in Ontario in Canada, where they have what what they call the kind of the tribal police. And it's where they have asked the indigenous majority community to lay lay out the criteria they want. How do you want us to recruit officers? What are the values that matter to you when we're recruiting? And they have built the force from, from that. So much like what we do on the podcast and we say, okay, it's lived experience where the expertise lies, the police need to go to the communities and ask them what they want from their police forces and build upward from that.
2: And, he, and here's the thing, because we had Leroy Logan on our podcast. He was a founding member of the Black Police Association, um, and he was, was one of the black police officers who gave testimony during the Stephen Lawrence inquiry. Amazing man. We had him on our podcast, and, and he was talking about how police should be community-led. Police should be working with the public, And it's turned around that they're not. And he said, oh, you know, because it attracts these testosterone-fueled, you know, macho men. And I said to him, well, why does it attract those people? Mm. And he said, it's called white supremacy. Mm. If you can take somebody's liberty away because you've just had a bad day, that is an automatic attraction for white supremacists. And that's what we have to address. But from what we sort of figured out, there's, there's only so far internal reform can go. Leroy Logan also said, internal reform is only possible if you have the political will to go with it. Right. And he said, we do not have the current political will yes. to go with it. Makes sense. Uh, that,
0: but, so, so is there a value in getting more uh, black and Asian people and people of other ethnic minorities into the current system is that is that a fight worth having maybe you...
7: but it, it's not just about getting them in it's, we've got to get them at senior levels right mm. and so what what you see is the discrepancy grows every level up you go yeah. so the decision makers are even less representative than the force and those at the junior level are answering to people who don't really have any knowledge or compassion for their community, and so we have a higher attrition rate, a higher fallout rate mm. for officers who are from minority communities who are having to answer to, you know, m- mostly white men uh, in an institution of force. They're leaving, mm. and so w- it's not just about bringing them in. We need to promote them. We need to keep them.
0: Yeah. Do you, Do you worry that the people at the? Sorry, Desiree, you asked. No, ask no, off
7: no. It. I Please.
4: just. Um, I mean, is it not? Are we not in a position where we have to kind of attack the iceberg from all sides in terms of, um, you know, the expert that you had on your podcast is correct in saying that this is a a system that upholds um, and enforces white supremacy and what we want to do is dismantle that. But in order to do that, you do need to start coaching people on the test who are black minority ethnic people to start to reach some of those senior levels to be on the inside to say i we can also report from the inside that this is also correct and we would like to be serving our communities and not abusing murdering you know incarcerating whatever our communities um like do you not need to do both of those things or more than both but at least those both things
7: yeah and i actually on the 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 first podcast we ever did on policing, our guests were Leroy Logan and Chantelle Lunn, and this was really interesting because they'd both gone into the police force as, as minorities. And Leroy had stuck it out, and he'd founded the Black Police Association, and he'd, you know, he'd spent his entire life in policing, and now he speaks on it. He's actually been played by John Boyega in a movie about racism, yeah, yeah in the police force. Chantelle, she ultimately left after going through tribunal because of the racism and sexism that she experienced. She has become a local councillor in Merseyside and she started the Black Lives Matter movement there. And so here you have two amazing ways of dealing with it, one trying to change it from the inside, one trying to change it from the outside.
2: And actually, Chantelle also did say that she would not recommend any black women... To join the force because of what she'd been through, and she doesn't wow. want anybody to go through the same thing. Wow!
0: But and then the thing that worries me is that the head of the police force is ultimately the Home Secretary, and the last Home Secretary was Priti Patel. Yeah. Current Home Secretary is Suella Braverman. Yes. Both of those are brown women. And look at them.
7: I, I suspect we don't have too many kind of Sun Daily Mail diehards in here. But have you no. have what? you seen <laughs> have you seen the language that they use and Suella Braverman use about the police? Because while we're all sitting here saying, "Oh, you're institutionally racist," Suella Braverman is saying, "Woke police. The police is yeah. too woke. They need to stop being woke and start fighting crime.
4: Start going back to yes. sleep <laughs> and killing everyone. Don't be woke." Oh, Canellman. Yeah,
2: this <laughs> is no, no, a priority. No. She, said, she said that the police were too woke. When they were at Pride or, or that kind of thing. It's just like you're focusing on... Like the there thing, aren't I'm gay saying.
4: police. Right, yeah. yeah.
2: But
0: also, God, when you look at all the WhatsApps that have come out and the, the you know, institutionalised horrendous views, you know, this this really comes back to, Susan, you know, that stranglehold really of power that has been in this country and other countries, like it. I'm sure other people are listening around the world and going, yep, hard relate, relatable content. Um the women that broke through, because we can always learn from movements that break through and get what they want, how did they break through this institutional bias? And also, they had to face the police a lot, the suffragettes, because they were often beaten by the police, arrested by the police, dragged away from things by the police. They, they had to deal with this a lot. Like, what, what can we learn from the Women's Freedom League and the other suffragettes?
6: I think it's the resourcefulness... And just drawing on exactly what you were saying earlier, Deborah, every form of protest. So there were plays, there was music, there was art, as well as the published word. You know, every form of creativity was used in order to promote the message that women deserve the vote. Um, I mean, historians of the movement will discuss for a long time as to what actually inched women towards that. You know, uh, that, that wonderful Shangri-La of, oh, we've got a ballot box that we can use. Oh, by the way, the WFL did try and set alight a ballot box with a sort of chemical reaction. That, that that saw them in jail. But they some things worked better than others. On the whole, the WFL were very keen to avoid the real violence of the Pankhursts because they thought that would just breed negativity and actually whip up even more opposition to the movement. Uh, And it's really interesting that that the passive non-resistance tended to be their path. But it was a tough one, because faced with police brutality, as there was then, obviously the force-feeding, after the enactment of the Cat and Mouse Act, which meant, I mean, just horrendous violation of women in Holloway Prison um, and other jails. But what I think I learned from them and from having researched them is collective action Uh, partly because they were a democratic organisation, but they were also a national organisation. There was a really strong branch in Glasgow. So everything I'm saying about it was run from London, but it was to empower women across the country. And I think that's something that we still really need in our lives over 100 years on. Um, And the fact they had so few formal tools. Um, One of the other lovely things that you can say the WFL achieved was to encourage women to step into those male professions. So a blue plaque went up very recently to Helena Normanton. I don't know if there are any lawyers in the house, but she was the first female barrister to qualify in 1919, and she was WFL. So it's that, do you know what? we gonna have to play them at their own game, mm. and we're going to make to those Use strides. the law, get, in, yeah, get into exactly. the doors. exactly, but it's a precarious route, and it probably wasn't the most glamorous route, mm. but
4: it's dogged determination. Well, I, 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 I kind of love how this is building on what you said earlier in terms of like, you know, you've got to get not only uh, people on the inside, but you've got to get the larger political will of people behind this. But it's kind of like, how do you write like TV shows and books and plays and jokes and whatever about uh, policing when like nobody wants to talk about it because it's so dire. You know, I mean, it's so... Uh, you, I'm not surprised to hear about... You know, it's white supremacy, you know, right, Uh, throughout, and it's it's, I don't know, it's just sort of uh, nobody wants to keep hitting the same one note on the piano of like, it's white supremacy stupid, about policing whether it's in the UK or in the US but we all collectively need to be feeding this, so the people who disagree with every single person in this room are still getting that information subtly through uh, the programming that they're watching or stories that they're reading or jokes they're hearing or whatever so how do we kind of like uh, uh, muster the political will General election? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. in, you know, w- we can hear much more about this on MediaStorm. Can you tell us about the programme you've made about this? Because there's so much more to it and there's so much more in-depth uh, journalism that you've done than you can tell us about today in one episode of our, of our podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about how we can find MediaStorm and what we should expect to hear in those episodes if we go deeper?
2: Well, I think before we received all the detailed freedom of information requests back we did an episode called police behind the PR machine and this was more of a focus on how policing and the media are intertwined and the ways that they are intertwined. So obviously we've had a lot of high profile scandals I mean it it doesn't really feel right to call them scandals to be honest they're so much worse than that Um, in the police Wayne Cousins, David Carrick etc and often in order to sort of save face you'll see the highest police commissioner be rolled out on the TV on the on the BBC News at Ten to uh, give a you know very structured clinical PR approved statement about it. And what we actually wanted to find out was, well, okay, well, actually, what's happening within the forces? If you take off this top layer, mm. what's actually what is actually the sentiment inside the forces? What what's the difference between the high level ranking people and the low level ranking people? And does everybody feel this way? Does everyone think that? There can be internal reform that that can be possible. And so that's what we were aiming to find out first. And then the detailed FOI data came back and so we extended this uh, part and created three more episodes.
7: Yeah so if you went to Media Storm feed, which is wherever you get your podcasts, the three most recent episodes are a detailed breakdown of what did that data tell us why is this happening, and what are the solutions? And this fits into a whole three-season media storm podcast where we we put we take the lived experience that is missing. We, we look at the news, we say, okay, if you ever read an article about channel migrants, have a look through it. Not a single quote will be from anyone who's ever had to cross a border for any re- reason other than going on holiday or work trip. And so that's the first rule of journalism just broken. And we bring in people to talk about what they know because of what they've lived. It's literally
4: the best appeal for listening to a podcast I've heard. You know what I mean? It's like everyone's got one, but this one is like all the stuff I want to hear from all the people I want to hear it from. Yeah.
0: So you should go to MediaStorm. You should subscribe. You should tell your friends about it because they're breaking stuff all the time and letting you hear from the people that are never asked. But this particular one, they've actually broken a story that's then ended up in the national media and it's hard to know, in a way, why the more resourced news outlets have never looked at these stats. So I'm really glad that you have, and I'm really glad that the wider media is now are reporting this story. But please go back to the source and subscribe to MediaStorm and see what their other episodes are about as well. But particularly listen to this three-episode special. Uh, can I ask, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say, Tilda and Helena?
2: No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, we would plug our live show, but we did that yesterday, so no.
7: <laughs> it, it was great, by the way. <laughs> great, 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 great. Um, and Patreon, I? if you subscribe to us on Patreon, then you get access to the original data um, as well as, you know, extended cuts of interviews. So. Oh, really? That's you, get, very helpful you get the
4: data. <laughs> That's five or, or ten or spent like a you month. Said,
7: yeah, like you said, you're pressing the same key on the piano, trying yeah. to get people to pay attention to a topic. Well, okay, trying to get advertisers to sponsor Discussions like that is pretty tricky, too.
4: So Yeah, but if we all start listening to it, the advertisers will be like, also buy a mattress while you're here. <laughs> yeah. Woke people love sleeping. It's ironic, but it
0: works. <laughs> uh, if you can chip in a little bit, how much, what's the lowest Patreon you can give? Three pounds a month. I mean, so amazing. If you can chip in three Worth quid it. a month... They're just doing it really on their own. It's just two young women on their own trying to break news stories that aren't broken in a 24-hour news cycle when journalists are exhausted. Journalists are great. They're exhausted. They're they're reporting 24 hours. There's a lot of clickbait stories they're being asked to cover. And so doing that old-school investigative journalism like, you know, when they broke Watergate, those days, papers cost money, people advertised in papers, and therefore journalists were paid to go and do those things... That's getting harder and harder and harder. And, of course, there are still brilliant newspapers that do it. But it is getting harder and harder and harder. And journalists are being paid less and less and less because of the internet and the way it all works. So if you could chuck in three quid, you know, if you used to go and pick up a newspaper and buy it and now you don't and you could throw them three quid a month or even more if you have it, it would really, really help them to break more stories. Um, Susan, what can we do? Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Absolutely.
6: Absolutely. Uh, English Heritage blue plaques do not happen on their own. They don't just sort of morph out of the air and land on a building. They are all proposed by members of the public. And anyone who with a passing interest in plaques may perhaps pick up that not so many women have got plaques. Despite I, have, I a, have noticed
0: that once yeah, or twice.
6: And a huge effort by English Heritage, particularly since 2016, to get more nominations for women... Because people don't sit in a darkened room going through a dictionary and working out who would be interesting, it's generally born of people's passion. So members of the public just write in to English Heritage. Two key criteria, if I can mention. Yes. The person has to be dead. Uh-huh. Disappointing. And, no. <laughs> I was going to write in and say, I lived
4: there. I do a really good podcast, written a play well, now. You should write that and then yeah. send it off right before you know you're going to die. Yeah. In the well, event of my death, mail this in. Yeah, absolutely. If I
0: die, guys, I want a full-on campaign. Hopefully I don't. But, you know, I'd rather be alive than have a blue plaque. But, you know, well,
6: I mean, one or the other. we've touched on a few issues why reputations do change over time. Mm. And it's not just dead, dead for 20 years.
0: Oh, That's- oh
4: Wow. are those the two criteria dead for
6: dead and
0: long dead what's the third one dead for 20 years well
6: dead for 20 years because that does allow for skeletons to tumble out of closets and biographies to reappraise somebody and once the plaque goes up yeah it's actually permanent. So You can't pull it off the building. It's oh, you set. can't be
2: cancelled. You
6: cannot be cancelled. Yeah, so Twenty
4: years or four, right? Never heard
2: that. The
6: thing.
4: cancel window.
6: Uh, and the <laughs> the other thing, because it's not just all about people. It's about the buildings they lived or worked in. Mm. So therefore, the building has to be the same that the person would have recognised. Right. So so if
4: Founding. the
0: person
6: comes back from the dead yeah they have to go yeah yeah
0: I went there
4: yeah they can't absolutely. go and not like what? oh they added an extension and yeah yeah they can't weird. just go
0: Extensions I never okay. went okay they, <laughs> but they can't go I never went to this dry cleaners it has to be like well it's still a house that they lived in yeah okay
7: is there like a, a criteria that they have to have achieved something or could you just like recommend you know Margaret and Deborah? Or... that yes <laughs> There's, they've oh, they achieved, achieved much
4: Those, let's be real these,
7: these breasts <laughs> once brushed
6: past this uh, this 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 greg's um, well, I mean there are more criteria, yes, then they 're compared, but those are the crucial things. but if you 'd like to see more women 's plaques or I'm women not... with plaques underrepresented groups, please write into English heritage, come forth with your ideas because. There are loads of hidden histories out there, and we just okay. need to know more. We need to do a
0: guilty feminist one where we all get behind somebody. Given what Helena and Matilda was be, have been talking about, I would like to find... I think there are so many amazing black women in this country in the war who, wh- whose efforts are just... They just get written out, and I've read about some of them. So I think maybe we should try and collectively choose one. Maybe, you know, go on Twitter and... Oh, <laughs> um, Instagram or write in to guiltyfeminist at gmail.com and maybe we'll try and get behind somebody and see if we can do one. And once we've done that one, we might do another one.
6: Absolutely. You're not limited right.
0: to one. Not limited to one, but I think it's good to get, get... If you get enough people behind one, you've got more chance than everyone trying. But it doesn't need a campaign.
6: It doesn't? It really doesn't. It needs a simple, old-fashioned application form. You just
4: put it in and you just go... But I mean, is there like a Tom Like, I mean, I'm sure they they get a lot of application forms. How How do they then make the choice unless a bunch of people are like, choose this one? It
6: is a sifting, and it is looking at that elusive quality of significance and lasting significance. So is this going to mean something for people? Okay, but
0: just can I just push back on that very slightly?
6: Because recently, I had a project
0: about uh, a black woman who, in her time, was more famous than her white female counterpart that everyone 's now can name mm. won 't say what it is at the moment, but um, and the, when I talked to some production companies about making a TV show about her dra- drama, they went, mm, you really need now for anything historical, you need IP, which means there need to be, it needs to be an existing." book or something already about her and i said do you understand it was just after the black lives you matter need, you summer you need to write a book before you can write a tv show right well i it was but it was just after the black lives yeah. matter came to a boiling yeah. point that yeah. summer and and i just said do you understand though who is the, who the ip is currently about because of structural bias. So, yeah, there are loads of fucking books about Dickens that I can adapt. And, oh, is this existing IP that everyone knows. The whole point is no one knows who she is. The existing IP doesn't exist because of structural bias. And then I found those production companies started saying, oh, no, no, we didn't mean that. Um, but still there is no TV show. So I, I'm just going out on a large limb... And I'm going to say, we also, with blue plaques, we do need to say significance can be forgotten and recreated. Absolutely.
6: And it's constantly shifting. Yeah. And so it's nice. being reevaluated. There's loads of ones with men
0: I've never heard of. It just goes, oh, he was an architect or something. And I go, well, I've never heard of him.
6: Well, who has heard of them all? But, but it's whether they did something that is deemed worthy, and you can't 100%. revisit those decisions. Oh no,
0: so no, no! no. Like, I don't yeah. want those taken away. No. I'm not saying take them away. I'm just saying, is there a different criteria sometimes for women? Because there's loads of men, and it just goes, oh, he invented a telescope, or he he <laughs> he, he looked at he, he looked out his window once and s- said a funny thing, and. <laughs> Even there's one like Mozart came here for a year or something and he lived in a flat above a shop or something and they're like, well, it was Mozart, wasn't it? And I'm like, is he a <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, he was, he popped over. He popped over on the year of star and he had a little... Yeah. He had a drink this, in this oh, pub yeah, in a yeah, pool. pool. Yeah, Let's seriously. Back here so
7: So... What Wolfgang, was that? Wolfgang Amadeus is your classic English. Yeah. Classic exactly. English. Jam.
0: So listen, I don't want Mozart's Plagg po- po- it. Plug, ting, ting. I am, I'm being right because I'm mm. a comedian. I'm not, I'm not mocking the whole situation. Mm. I'm just saying that significance is subjective. Absolutely. And I think we, need, we might need to go, look, here is why this is significant to us and why it should be more significant to people who can't remember this
6: person. That's why we need more history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always more history. Okay, all right. the historian. Just go to the English Heritage website. English Heritage website. Absolutely, there's all the information you need. And if we want to see this new blue plaque, where do we go? You go to Trafalgar Square, walk along the Strand, head south towards the river, Robert Street, and it's a fabulous 18th century building.
0: So we go down to Robert Street, and if you are in London or you're visiting London, and we want to see, go to Robert Street where we commemorate the headquarters of the Women's Freedom League, where suffragettes, really did their bit and really worked hard to get the vote, and the vote is the only way we have any legislation, protections or representation for women at all. It's not just about oh we get to tick a box, it's we get laws to protect us, and we get representation in Parliament.
6: You have been listening
0: to The Guilty Firmness with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest host, Heather and our very special guest, Susan Smith, Silver Panthers, and Karen Awadia. Reporting engineer was Chris Sharp, Guilty Firmness being tuned and supervised by Mark Hodge. Producer was Tom Szilasi from the Spotlight Shop. Thanks to Rachel Graff, Mattia Diciano, Zainab Ahmed, and everyone at the London Podcast Festival, as well as all of you for listening. For more information on this other episode at ntvfathers.com. We want to go to Robert Street, and we want to see the English Freedom.
4: No, the women's.
0: <laughs> Fuck, Defense League We
4: want to go celebrate the E.D.L. on Robert Street, guys. And uh, Let's just say let's it. Let's all go as a group. We'll march there. We want to see the, the Women's Freedom
0: League. Oh God, now we've got to keep all of this in. Let's yeah. cut this out. Let's cut this out. I don't yes. want all this in here. I don't want it. I don't E.D.L. evoked in the podcast. Okay. Um, commemorating the headquarters. Quite, so we go down to Robert Street in a few hours. In lovely... The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast.
3: So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn
1: more at ByHeart.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from MoonPig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a MoonPig card. Get 50% off your first card at MoonPig.com. MoonPig.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS.